so much for singing with us. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Northridge Church. Glad you are here. I hope that you are here expectant, excited for what God can do, what God will do, what God is doing. Um, I don't know about you, but we it has been an amazing season. Uh, Christmas can be really difficult and busy, and it brings things to the forefront that sometimes aren't always there, but it's also an amazing season. We did have uh, well over 500 people packed into this place. Uh, talk about noise and sweaty and uh, laughing and yelling and running and kids screaming from the Grinch, which was awesome, um, and we just had a great time. We had an amazing time. We had tons of people here. It really was an amazing time. Uh, but just remember that we are, we've been in Advent, we have the three candles lit, like we're already third week of Advent in, but we've got the next couple of weeks coming up are just kind of one of those things that it's where it's at. When it comes to celebrating Jesus, when it comes to celebrating Christ, uh, we've got our Christmas Sunday next, a week from today, and then the candlelight services on the 22nd. And, and so one thing that I just want to remind you, people cannot experience our church unless our church is present, right? They, we, we can do everything we can with lights and candles and all the kind of stuff, but people will not experience the church because the church is not a gym, it's not a space, it's not a time, it's people. And so the power of like the candlelight service is because we all gather together in unity to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And it's going to be an amazing time. And so I just want to remind you of that. And, and tagging off of what Tanya said earlier, uh, if uh, next Sunday evening, if you've never kind of taken the risk, it is a huge risk because you're walking into a room by yourself or with your family with a pastor. It's you and the pastor. That's it. And I know some people, I don't know why, but I am not that scary, right? I mean, I don't know. Maybe I am. Maybe I am. But I'm not scary. But I would just encourage you, uh, the people, ask the people who have been to Christmas communion and have had communion personally given to them and prayed for in a personal way. Uh, it's just a, it's a powerful, 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 powerful moment. And uh, so I just encourage that. But we've got a lot of things going on. And so just reminding you for like, for example, the Christmas candlelight services. Uh, you guys already know the spiel. But let's show people how much we love them by getting here for those services early. Uh, when you get here, you're going to park far away. So whatever those spots are by the doors. Uh, church. We've got a lot of visitors that are going to come that are not a part of our church. Those close spots, they're not actually for you. It's for all the people that visit that one time a year, right? Or they, they're just checking church out maybe that one night. Like that's, Those spots are for them. And, and I love it when people walk in and they say, I can't believe it. Like It's packed, but there were spots right by the door. I'm like, that's amazing. That's so cool. I wonder how that happened. That's what we want people to experience when they show up to our church. We want, them to, we want them to understand their incredible value before they ever meet us. 
And so get here early, park far away, and sit close to the front so everybody who's a little bit intimidated and scared of me, because I'm so intimidating, they can sit toward the back or on the sides or wherever it is, kind of sit further up when you do that, all right? So just encourage you that way. So I want to just start by showing you a picture. Uh, This guy's name is Ross Edgley. And uh, as you see this picture, uh, he is carrying a 100-pound log on his shoulder. And the reason he's doing that is because he just finished swimming 25 miles in the ocean with this tied to him, uh, behind him. Right? How many of you look forward to doing that sometime in the future? Right? Uh, so this, is, this guy clearly is an extreme athlete. Let me share with you some of the things that Ross Edgley has done in his life. So another thing that he's done is he did a single swim around all of Great Britain, which is 1,780 miles in the ocean. He literally swam all the way around it in 157 consecutive days. This is 11 miles of swimming every day for 157 days. That's almost half of a year, swimming every day. Just, just, just amazing, right? Uh, he's also run a marathon pulling a Mini Cooper car, which is 3,000 pounds. I kid you not. I'm not making this up. You can look all this stuff up. Uh, by the way, just side note, I found out about this guy by watching this new show called Limitless by Chris Himmelworth. He's doing this healthy thing. Ross Edgley is the guy that trains him for his cold water swim in one of the episodes. And I just watched it, so I was like, Ross Edgley, who's that guy? And then I was talking about, you'll find out here in a minute, about something that attains to this. And I'm like, this is perfect. But he is crazy. He also has run a triathlon, not a marathon, but a triathlon, biking, swimming, and running with a 99-pound log tied and strapped to his back. Can you imagine Now, the question that I have for you is this. Why would Ross Edgley do that? Some of you are like, because he's crazy. (laughs) Clearly, he's nuts. Like, he doesn't know what he's doing. But actually, I would say, yeah, you're probably a little bit right. There is maybe a little bit crazy. But what I would say is it's because of another word. And that word is passion. Ross Edgley... There's no way you cannot say that he is not passionate about health and fitness and pushing his body to the physical and mental, and he would tell you the mental is the harder one, extreme. He's not only, he not only likes it, he doesn't even love it, he is passionate about it, clearly. And so today, we're going to continue our Christmas series where we're asking a very simple but a very important question. And that question is, who is Jesus? Who is he? We know a lot about Jesus. We've heard of the birth of Jesus. We've heard about, you know, crucifixion on the cross and all the different things. We've heard about Jesus, but we're asking the question, who is Jesus? And so the answer to that question today as you probably already figured out, is Jesus is passion. He is passion, passionate. And the question that I think we probably need to wrestle with at first is, what is Jesus passionate about? So I want to give you three things that Jesus is passionate about, and you're going to think that these are the three main points. They aren't. Uh, This is just the, the precursor to the main thing. 
All right? So there's three things that Jesus is passionate about, but I think we need to talk about these because this lends itself to what we really are talking about today with Jesus' passion. So the first thing that Jesus is passionate about is Jesus is passionate about people. Let me just give you a really simple, easy example. Most of you have probably heard of this story, but there's a moment where Jesus and the disciples are together and the parents want Jesus to, you know, uh, pray for the kids. And so they bring the kids to Jesus. Remember this moment? And something happens between Jesus and the disciples and the parents. It's just kind of interesting. Matthew 19, verses 13 and 14. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. Uh, have kids ever bothered you? <laughs> no, they've never bothered you. Okay, yeah, some of you are like, oh, yeah, are you kidding? Have they ever bothered me? And so the kids are all coming, and just imagine this. Jesus is this great, amazing, busy, you know, guy, because people are always coming to him. And the disciples are like, they're kind of like bouncers. I don't know if Jesus told them to be that way. I'm sure he didn't. But the disciples are like, no, we need to protect Jesus. No, 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 he's Jesus. He's fine. <laughs> but, but they're kind of like bouncers, and they're like, no, 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 don't bother Jesus. He's kind of a big deal. And what does Jesus say? But Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. The point is, Jesus spent time, lots of time, with people, with adults, with kids, with teenagers, with people who were very wealthy and people who had literally no possessions at all. Jesus spent time with people who were religious, and Jesus spent time with people who wanted nothing to do with religion at all. Jesus spent time with the outcast, the hopeful, the hopeless, the lost, the found, the confused. Jesus spent time with people because he was passionate. He is passionate about every one of us. Second thing that Jesus is passionate about is he's passionate about serving. You guys know I've quoted this at least, I don't know, a lot of times here at Northridge. But these are Jesus' words. In Mark 10, 45, he says, For even the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to give his life, to serve and to sacrifice for you and I. And he lived this out, as we know. The third thing that Jesus is passionate about is Jesus is passionate about God. Now that's a weird statement, isn't it? Jesus is passionate about God because you're kind of thinking Jesus is God. So he's passionate about himself? Well, yeah. But he's also passionate about doing specifically God's will on this earth. Jesus knew that serving God and doing God's will was his ultimate number one passion. Remember last week I talked about the fact that, that Jesus you know, did a whole bunch of different things and I, I highlighted the fact that Jesus was asked this question. What is the most important thing, Jesus, that we need to be about? What's the most important thing that we need to live for? And this is Jesus' answer in Matthew 22. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. That's everything. And this is the first and greatest commandment, and a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
In other words, if I were to sum this up, love God and love other people passionately. That's what Jesus was saying. That's the most important thing that we have to do as followers of Christ on this earth. Now, you might be saying, well, man, you just went through those three points really, really fast. I know. Thank you for coming today. Uh, God bless you. Merry Christmas. And uh, yeah, don't you wish, right? (laughs) Some of you are like, early Christmas present. Pastor Brent's done. (laughs) Those are important. But what I really want to talk about today is passion. Jesus is passion. But here's the deal. I think that just like Laura was talking about with the word Mary and God rest ye, Mary gentlemen, we kind of think of Mary as a different kind of word, like happy and excited and all kind of stuff. And Mary back then meant something different. Well, the word passion, we've actually destroyed the word today in our culture. If I say the word passion, what we tend to think of is we think of a, a strong emotion or a burning desire. I've, I hear people say, in a moment of passion, this happened, right? We, we talk about that. In a moment of passion, this, that, or the other happened because it was, they were passionate. But what I want to give you is a different version, a different definition. What I would say is actually the real definition of the word passion. I think we need to reclaim the word from what we've done to it. So what is the word passion? Well, if you look at the original history, etymology, how many of you love looking at the etymology of words? I actually kind of do. I'm weird. Okay, I'm sorry. But I like looking at this stuff as a history teacher. It's just part of who I am. I'm like, where did this come from? You know, I love to say, like, why do we, I ask this question a lot. Why do we call it that? I ask that question a lot. And usually nobody knows because I don't know. And, and, I, and nobody else knows. And so I have to go to where we always go. We go to Google. <laughs> I say, hey, Google, right? Some of you, like, your devices are going to go off, right? As long as they don't say, you know, hey, Siri or hey, Alexa, <laughs> right? But I say, hey, Google, and then I say, where did this come from? And then we get this whole history, and do you want to know more? And I'm like, yes. You know, and my family's like, please make it stop. If you look at the original Latin word that we get the word passion from, so the original meaning of the word passion does not mean a burning desire or a strong emotion. It means to suffer. Passion, to have passion, means to suffer. Hmm, that changes things a little bit, doesn't it? To be passionate means to suffer. So I want to give you a different definition, a definition that you've probably never seen for the word passion. And it's the the definition that we need to use today as we talk about passion and what Jesus calls us to. So here's the working definition for today. Passion is the commitment to suffer for what you love. That's kind of a heavy definition, isn't it? It's a little bit weighty for this season. Christmas already can be a little bit heavy. But I wonder, and I feel the weight of this season as well, I don't have to go into why. You guys know why. There's a lot of weight 
in this Christmas season. But I think that one of the best ways to deal with weight is to help support it with the correct focus in passion. Because I find that the weight and the grief and loss, you know what the first thing it does to me? It sucks the wind out of my sails. I lose my energy. I lose my, my oomph. And what I need, I know this is what I need. I even need this today. I've needed this this Christmas. I need an infusion of passion for my Savior, for people once again. Because grief and loss has stolen that. And so today, the definition for passion is the commitment to suffer for what you love. So a few summers ago, uh, my family and I went to the mountains. Woo, shocker, right? You guys are like, no, you didn't go to the mountains. You guys know I love mountains. And so we were in the mountains, and uh, we had spent a couple of days in the mountains camping and all stuff. And we, the first couple of days, we did these long hikes, really long hikes. And so the third day that we were at, in the mountains, we decided we were just going to, we had seen this cool mountain creek, mountain stream, and we decided we were going to take the hammock and tie it up between two trees, and, and whoever wanted to lay in the hammock and read a book or just hang out, and, and we were going to play in the stream stream and throw skip rocks and swim and you know it was icy cold crystal clear beautiful water with the mountain peaks all around us it was just amazing we were just going to hang out we weren't going to hike we were just going to explore this creek all day long and so we set up the hammock uh we were kind of getting everything going there's a a moose actually came to visit us that day like literally almost i kid you not almost ran laura over she was setting up the hammocks, and, and she's like, and the moose came over there, and then we kind of spooked it a little bit, because I was probably getting a little too close, to be honest. And, and then the moose kind of ran across where we were at and, and ran right through where Laura, Laura was standing, probably on the line where this moose, she would normally run, and almost ran her over. But she, you know, ran off. We were watching. It was an amazing day. Well, later on, we were hiking along the stream, in the stream. We were all barefoot, and kind of me and Hannah and Jackson were exploring the stream, and and uh, everything was going pretty well until uh, we turned around and I went to step in the water. We were walking through the stream and my foot kind of slipped, right? And I'm fully clothed. Like I'm not in swimming trunks, so I'm like in jeans. And like I said, it's the mountain, so it's pretty chilly. And, and I, I'm ready to go down flat on my face and land in this like foot deep water, rushing water. And so I go to put my other foot down to catch myself, but I catch the top of my foot when I'm, as I'm trying to get my foot out. And it cracks on the top of a rock underneath the water. And then it jams in between another one and it kind of wedges in. And, and, and I'm just telling you, it hurt really bad. But I'm also a typical guy and my kids were in earshot. And so I just, instead of going, ah, I just went, <laughs> because I'm a tough guy, right? And I need to prove that I'm tough. And so I just went, but it really hurt. I hit my, the top of my foot really hard. So we finally got back, spent a couple of more hours, went back to camp, cooked, went to bed that night. The next day, we were supposed to go on this multi-mile hike in one of the, our favorite valleys, right? 
And, uh, and so I'm putting my, I get my left shoe on just fine. And then I go to put my other shoe on and it's just black and blue and yellow. And I'm like, I, I had to unlace the shoe completely to slide it over my foot because it was swelled up so bad. And so I get my shoe on and I lace it up a little bit looser than normal. And I'm like, let's do this. Right. And we go on this hike. And let me just say, uh, it was a good day. We did the hike. We got all the way back to camp. But all day, my foot was killing me. Like, it was awful. But we did it. And we actually had a great day. And my family, I don't think, heard me complain about it. Maybe, maybe I remember that differently. But I don't Ask Laura later. But we got all the way through that hike. And the question that I have for you is... Why would I, if my foot is swelled up and hurting that bad, why would I suffer? Why would I walk all those miles in this mountain valley with my family and make it all the way back to camp? Why would I even do that? Well, I can tell you why I would do that. It's because I am massively passionate about two things. I love the mountains. I'm passionate about the mountains. And I'm passionate about my family. And when you combine those two things together and I get to spend time in the mountains with my family... For me, for me, now I know other people think I'm crazy. You're like, that's dumb, right? Why would you want to go spend time in the mountains and hike? Like, there's no point to it. But for me, I'm passionate about spending time in the mountains with people that I love. And so that it didn't get better for me than that. I would suffer all day long just to spend even a few more hours or a few more days with my family in the mountains really would. Why? It's not because I'm awesome. It's not because I'm powerful. It's not because I'm strong. It's because I'm passionate about it. Let me tell you, if I had done that same thing with my foot and we had to go shopping at the mall for an hour, I promise you I couldn't have done it. (laughs) Not even close. I can't do it with two healthy feet. I'm just telling you. (laughs) Laura has to buy me treats. Otherwise, I'm like, this is terrible. You know why? Because I am, my passion scale for shopping is less than zero. Whatever zero is, I'm over here. I'm less than zero. When it comes to the mountains, I'm, I'm over here. I'm past passionate. I'm just, uh, it, it's all in. And so I'm willing to suffer for that. Well, the truth is, we all know this is true. We suffer for the things that we love, don't we? We do. We suffer for the things we love. Some of you in here, you are passionate about exercise. I mean, you are. You're passionate about it. You love it. Like There's, there's nothing greater. There's nothing better than, than getting out there and going for a run, going for a bike ride, lifting weights and pushing your muscles to the point where they ache and you're shaking. And you're like, I'm going to max out those. Some of you, you love your max out days. Right? Where it's like, I'm going to put as much weight on there and I'm going, to do as, I'm going to push myself to the very, very limit of what my, I think my body can do. Some of you are passionate about exercise. And then the next day, what happens to your muscles? You're sore. It's like hard to walk or to move. But you, if you're passionate about exercise, you love it. You love it. Some of you are passionate about eating healthy. You're like, man, no. Look, you look at the labels and you're like, nah, this stuff is nasty. Are you kidding me? Oh, and then you, and you're like, ooh, look at this. This has omega whatever and omega this. And the, I don't even know what they are, guys. That's why I'm not saying them because I don't even know. I'm not looking for them. I, you can tell where my passion lies. It's not that. All right. 
Now, now here's the truth. I'm, I believe that exercise is important. I believe that eating right is important. I'm just not passionate about it. So I do it, but I don't do it well, and I don't do it consistently, and, and I don't do it to the highest level that I probably could. Not even probably. I know I don't. And you know why? It's because I'm not passionate about it. I think it's good. I believe in it. But I'm not passionate about it. Jesus was the real kind of passion. It wasn't a burning desire that all of a sudden one day he decided, you know what, I'm going to leave heaven and come, become a baby, a human baby, and I'm going to suffer. I'm going I'm to go through loss and grief like other humans do. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be tortured. I'm going to be crucified. Man, it, was, it wasn't like Jesus all of a sudden was like, I have this burning desire to, to do something amazing. No. Jesus' passion came from a commitment an intensity, an intentionality to do whatever he could to show you and to show me that he loves us to the highest level. That's passion. He suffered because he's passionate about your soul and about mine. Jesus is passionate. So Jesus, since he's passionate, and this kind of takes us to kind of where I want to finish up. We've got a couple more things to talk about. but And this, is, this next part's going to be, honestly, it, it's, it's sometimes hard to, to take. But Jesus is as passionate as he can possibly be for you. He suffered for you because of you. He loves you. But what Jesus does is Jesus calls us to also be the same. He is actually, believe it or not, disgusted by halfway committed, sort of, kind of in, I don't know where I'm at, kind of faith commitment. Now, just I know we need to be careful here for a minute. Some of you, you're not sure where you're at with Jesus yet. In your faith. You're not even sure if you believe that Jesus is real or God is real. Some of you, I know that, right? And so I'm not talking about those of you in here who have not made a full decision to follow Jesus yet. But for those of us who have followed, decided to follow Christ, decided to put all in for Jesus, then this is what it means. It means that we are going to be passionate. It means that we're going to serve, we're going to sacrifice, and even maybe to the level of suffer. For Jesus. Let me give you an example of this. So Jesus had some very strong words for seven different churches in uh, what is now known as uh, the Middle East, specifically the country of Turkey today. Um, and, he, and he wrote these words specifically to these seven different churches. And there's a church at the very end, the seventh church in Revelation 3, where Jesus is speaking to a group of believers, a, a church. We don't know how big the church was. We don't know how many people this was. But he's speaking to a group of believers, a followers of Christ, in this town called Laodicea. And Laodicea, uh, we actually have a map of this. You can kind of take a look at this. But Laodicea was in the middle of a couple of other uh, towns or cities. 
So Laodicea was a very wealthy, very uh, popular, very comfortable city. The church was very wealthy, was very comfortable, was very popular. And they had a lot of comfort. But Laodicea had something very interesting in their dynamics. So do you see the, uh, the other town to the north, Heropolis? Heropolis was known, it was famous for its hot water springs. If you wanted to go and have healing for your body and you wanted to go to hot water and kind of get that hot water springs, all kind of stuff, then you would go to Heropolis. If it was a really massively hot season or day or something like that and you just wanted to be refreshed, you know where you'd go in this region? You would go south to Colossae. Colossae was known for its refreshing, crystal clear, cold, refreshing kind of water. But Laodicea was different. As you can see, it's in the middle. And it didn't really have its own water source. And so it had to divert water either from Heropolis or Colossae. Which means through the viaducts, the aqueducts, that they would actually get the water there. By the time the water got there, what has happened to the hot water? It's become lukewarm. What has come, happened to the cold water? When it gets to Laodicea, it's become lukewarm. The water in Laodicea was lukewarm. It was neither good for anything. It wasn't good for hot water for healing and it wasn't refreshing for a hot day. It was just blah water. How many of you, when you're working really, really hard and you just have like a, a glass of warm water to cool you off? Mmm, man. Or how many of you, after a cold day, after going out and being in the snow, you just want to come in and have a refreshing cold water? No, you want like hot chocolate or tea or something that is, is hot water, right? Laodicea had this lukewarm water. Now keep that in mind as you hear these words that Jesus speaks to the church in Laodicea. He has some very strong words for them to break them out of their, well, you'll find out. Revelation 3, 15 and 16. Jesus says, I know the things, all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Mm, Merry Christmas. Strong words from Jesus, isn't it? He literally says, because if you're not going to be passionate, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. This is from Jesus, our Lord and Savior. These are strong words. But the truth is, it's actually much stronger than that. Did you know that we kind of got the translation wrong in this part? So in this part, when, you, when we translated, remember that the New Testament was originally written down, recorded in Greek. And so if you look at the original Greek language and you look at the word that we translated from the, word, the Greek word to the word spit, we actually missed it a little bit. You know what the real Greek word actually means? It doesn't mean to spit like the, you know, kind of a thing. I spit on you, right? It's not that. Because spit, honestly, that comes across kind of strong, but it's not as strong as what it actually means and what Jesus actually said. What he actually said, the Greek word means 
to vomit. It means sick to your stomach. It means to throw up. I just want you to catch this. This is important. What Jesus is saying is, to the people in Laodicea, when he was talking to that church, he said, you're not hot, you're not cold, you're not passionate, you're nothing. You're just, you're just living. You're just existing. And because of that, it makes me sick to my stomach and I need to vomit. That's pretty strong from Jesus. He's calling us to be something that maybe we haven't realized. A level of passion to solve our apathy and our loss and our grief. It doesn't necessarily need to be replaced all the time. I don't know about you, but I've needed a lot of comfort. But I also know, I'm just telling you for myself, maybe that's why I'm preaching this, maybe this is for me more than anybody. I need comfort, but I also absolutely need to be injected with more passion for my Savior and for God this Christmas. And the truth is, here in the United States, I think we sometimes as Christians we get lulled into uh, this belief, this reality. We think that following Jesus is going to be easy, safe, and comfortable. Do you believe that? Following Jesus should be easy, safe, and comfortable. So here's, uh, I want to challenge you with something. Look at a few people in the Bible who followed Jesus and, and tell me if you find that their following Jesus was easy, safe, or comfortable. You know what you will find? You'll find that none of them were that. Nobody. All the way from the beginning to Moses and Abraham and the, the fathers of Israel and all that stuff, all the way to the disciples through the New Testament, every, never easy, safe, or comfortable. It just isn't. But it does require passion. And our brothers and sisters, by the way, Christians around the world, they get this, don't they? Because when they give their life to Christ, when they choose to follow Jesus, they lose their families, they lose their jobs, sometimes they lose their lives just because they follow Jesus. In fact, these, these two books, I brought these, and, uh, and I took a picture of them so you, if you can't see them from there, but uh, it, <laughs> we had, the worship team was up here, and they, were, they started singing DC Talk songs because they saw this, because uh, DC Talk is a Christian band that actually was the, the impetus behind writing this a long time ago, and so we were up here singing old Christian songs this morning uh, before, before service. So we were just having a lot of fun reminiscing, you know, all kind of stuff, and they actually wrote a song, DC Talk did, called Jesus Free. And so they, they put together two different books, both called Jesus Freaks, talking about that. And one is about people who were martyred, who either lost their life or suffered massively greatly because of their belief in Jesus. The other one is called Revolutionaries. And it's about people who put themselves in incredibly risky, tough situations because they were following Jesus. And, and these, these two books... I would highly encourage you, maybe look into them. 
But don't look into them until you're ready to read some difficult things. Because these books are full of all the stories about people who knew what passion for Jesus was because they suffered greatly for him. There's another book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. You can look that up. It's kind of a more of a historical version. There's uh, one, one copy of it. It does similar things. It tells story of people who were martyred for their faith. But the truth is that passion means serving and sacrificing for what you love. Let me end with one final story. So in 1987, there is a uh, doctor from Poland. Uh, his name, uh, let's see if I can get this right. Uh, Zbigniew Relega, I believe is how you say his name. Dr. Zbigniew Relega. And uh, in 1987, he was a renowned, very well-known heart surgeon. And uh, Dr. Relega was doing something that most people in the world, a few people believed it, but most people in the world uh, didn't believe that this was possible to transplant and take a heart from one human being and transplant it into a, another human being. We now, today, we know that that's very much possible. But back in 1987, that was considered to be crazy, absolutely impossible. There's no way you can do that. And so Dr. Religa, he believed that we could do this. And so he jumped into this one day where he was going to do a heart transplant, the first of its kind, the first thing that he's ever done with this particular thing. And he worked on a guy named Tadush Zikiewicz. Tadusz Zikiewicz, we're, we're testing my, uh, my Polish here today, right? Another Polish guy, but he absolutely had to have a heart transplant, otherwise he was not going to make it. And so Dr. Religa got in there, and they started this surgery, and just, do you know how long this surgery, this heart transplant took? 23 hours. That's almost an entire day standing at an operating table doing this heart transplant. 23 hours to do this heart transplant in 1987. Just imagine that. Now, the reason I bring that up is because 1987, there's a photographer that was documenting this whole thing. And soon after the surgery was done, he snapped a picture that would become National Geographic's Picture of the Year in 1987. I have this picture. Let's show it. Notice a couple of things. Notice his assistant in the corner. Literally just passed out. <laughs> like, thankfully, there's a wall there, right? Because there's no way probably even hold themselves up. And Dr. Religa is the one in the foreground of the picture, and then you see the patient, Tadush, on the table. They've just finished the heart transplant surgery. It's been 23 hours. I want you to look at his face. It's hard to see his face because it's kind of dark. It's a picture from 1987, right? But look at his face, and what you can see on his face is you can definitely see exhaustion. You can see semblances if you can see his eyes. If you look at the picture closely, you can see in his eyes there's, there's, there's definitely some measure of pain and suffering in there. Like he's been doing this for 23 hours, intensely focused. But then what's interesting is, do you see that he's looking kind of off the picture up at something? Do you know what he's doing after 23 hours of straight surgery? Dr. Religa was the one that's sitting there watching the monitor, making sure his vital signs are okay. 
Let me just say, I think this is a great picture of passion. Willingness to serve and to sacrifice yourself, even to the point of suffering and pain, which I'm sure Dr. Willigo was, to save another life. You know what's really cool? Tadush, the guy who's on the table, because of this transplant, he outlived Dr. Religa. Seriously. In fact, go ahead and show him that picture. We have a modern-day picture. He's pointing to himself in that picture. Let me ask you this question. As you look at this picture, do you think this man, Tadush, understands the value of passion? For sure he does. Because his life was saved as a result of it. So the question I'm going to leave you with today is a simple one. Are you willing to have that level, that kind of passion in following Jesus? A willingness to serve sacrifice, and maybe even suffer to follow your Savior. This Christmas, my hope is that we are able to reclaim some of that passion for our Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are passion. You gave everything you have for us. It's why you came to earth as a baby. You gave up the comfort and the perfection of heaven and came to exist and experience all the difficulties of living here on earth as a human being because you wanted us to know, to see, to experience and understand that your passion, your love for us goes to a level that you are willing to pay the ultimate suffering and price for us. God, I pray that if there's anybody in here who have believed in you, but they have never taken this step to actually make a commitment to you. They've never said yes to you, Jesus, to say, yes, I'm in. I'm willing to be a follower of Christ. I'm willing to be a follower of Jesus. I want to have a relationship with God. I want to be passionate about God. I want to be passionate about my faith. Maybe there's somebody in here who's never taken that first step to, to receive salvation. Maybe, maybe there's more of us in here who we've believed in you for a long time, but somewhere along the way, maybe it was just this last year, maybe it was during the pandemic, maybe it was years ago, somewhere along the way, we started to leak out passion. We started to lose our passion for our faith. 
we stopped sharing about who you are to other people. We started getting scared about what people would think. Maybe we lost a loved one, and so we've been angry at you, God, for a long time. And we've lost our passion. We've replaced it with bitterness. We've replaced it with anger. We've replaced it with apathy, lukewarmness. And God, I believe you're calling us back to once again lay our life down as you laid your life down for us and receive and go after the passionate pursuing of you and the love that you have for us. Help us to follow you for your sake, for the sake of the world, for the sake of the people around us, for the sake of our family, our friends, our neighbors who need you have to offer to them. Help us to burn brightly. Help us to be passionate about who you are and about following you, Jesus. I pray this and ask all of this in your name. Amen. Listen to the lyrics.